<clears throat> All right, so these are your New Year's resolutions. You want to make $100,000 online. You want to go to the gym and get a six-pack. You want to meditate every single day. Now, do you want to know what the truth actually is? Only 9% of you will succeed. And if that sounds harsh, good. Because I want you to understand the severity of this situation. You say that 2024 will be your year, but most likely it won't be. Why? Well, that is exactly what I'm going to show you in today's video. Now, let me ask you a question. What's materially changed to make 2024 the pivotal year of your life? Because let's face it, every year you tell yourself, this is going to be my year. Yet, it never is. You keep letting yourself down year after year. Well, in fact, scratch that actually. You don't just let yourself down because it's much worse than that. You're letting yourself down, but you're also letting down everyone around you. Your family, your friends. I mean, hell, even your future bloodline. Now, we are already halfway through January. And what concrete actions have you taken so far in order to accomplish your New Year's resolution? If your answer is none, you should be very worried. Why? Because we are about to reach the point of no return. In fact, we are two days away from it. You see, Reachers have colloquially called January 17th, Quitter's Day. And that's because by the 17th of January, around 43% of people haven't taken any concrete steps towards their resolutions. And if they haven't taken any action yet, the likelihood of them actually taking action after that is in the single digits. Meaning, if you haven't yet put any effort towards achieving your New Year's resolution, you've already walked 80% of the way to failure. And if you don't get on track with your goals now, you will fail. And if you keep going the way you've been, 2024 won't be your year. Once again, in total, only 9% of people are actually able to complete their New Year's resolution. So my question to you now is, are you going to be a part of the 91% that fail year after year after year? Or are you going to join me in making 2024 your year? This is a decision only you can make. Now, if you decide to join me in making 2024 your year, I have good news. You see, the 17th of January is around the corner, but it doesn't matter because today you're going to take your first action towards achieving your New Year's resolution and making 2024 your year. And it all starts with watching this event. And that's actually why I scheduled episode one for January 15th, right before the Quitter's Day, because there's still time to turn your year around. Now, before giving you all the tools you need in order to actually make 2024 your year, I really want to understand the reason we don't succeed. And it all has to do with time. You see, you have a limited amount of attention and focus to give. You can't focus on everything. It's impossible. In fact, a recent research that has been published on Science Magazine shows that we spend 46.9% of our days with our minds strayed away from the very tasks that we should be doing. That is almost half of your day gone. To what? Simply not being able to focus. So you might think that you have 16 waking hours to live your life, but you don't. And out of the entire 24 hours of a day, you actually have around eight hours of actual usable time. Now, there are ways to train yourself to become more focused and minimize the amount of time your mind spends wandering. And that is exactly what I'm going to reveal to you in episode two. Learning to focus deeply is without a doubt the single most impactful thing I've done. I'd even go far as to say that my ability to focus made up the majority of my success. But more on that later. First, 
you need to understand the root cause of all of these problems and how you're literally getting all of your time stolen from you. And for that, I want to run you through an exercise. Declined. What? Card declined. I come in here all the time. We know each other. Let me go get paid and I'll pay you back. You said that last time. Prick. I want you to think about this for a minute. Imagine that you got falsely accused of a crime. You go to court, your lawyers argue to the judge, and they show all of the proof to show that you are not guilty of a crime. And after long, exhaustive hours of back and forth between the defendant and the prosecutor arguing the case and trying to prove their points, they get to a final verdict. And despite all of the efforts put by your lawyers and the clear evidence provided making an airtight case as to why you're not guilty. The jury finds you guilty. Your final sentence, 30 years in jail. The next 30 years of your life, gone. My friend, you're gonna spend them behind bars and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, let me ask you a question. How would you feel in such situation? Devastated, infuriated, in a state of complete desperation? I mean, to be honest, I think all of those are understatements. I mean, it's hard to even conceive what you would feel in such a situation, honestly. But I believe that it's fair to say that for most of us, we'd basically agree that your life is pretty much over. 30 years of your life, just gone, like that. That is an absurdly high price to pay. Now, obviously, you haven't been accused of any crimes and you haven't gotten any sentences. But the reason that I ran you through this entire scenario is to tell you that even though you haven't been accused of any crimes or convicted to any sentences, you are still going to pay those 30 years. And at this point, 30 years of your life are simply gone. Why? Well, here's the thing. 
Imagine your life 10 years ago, before social media was nearly as prominent as it is now, before your phone was nearly as powerful as it is now. How much time did you really spend on your phone? Not that much. Your phone wasn't this key part of your life you couldn't live without. Now, think back to just five years ago. Sure, you were on your phone a lot more than 10 years ago, and life without it wouldn't be the same, but it definitely didn't define your life like it does now. Then, look at your life in the last few years. It seems that nowadays people are literally ruled by their phones. And that's not just my own personal feelings, by the way. There is concrete evidence that shows us exactly that. In 2019, people spent just under three hours on their phones daily, which is a lot. But now, it is way worse than that. The average person spends 30% more time on their phone today. That means the average person spends 4 hours and 12 minutes on their phone. I mean, let's really put that into perspective. In just a few years, your phone has gone from stealing 12% of your entire day in 2019 to over 17.5% today. Now, you may have even seen articles that refer to these numbers. But for some reason, when we're dealing with percentages, it just doesn't seem as drastic. So to really illustrate how insane this is, I've calculated what those percentages translate to in a number of days. In 2019, the average person would spend 44.6 days per year on their phone. I mean, really reflect on that for just a minute. But today, it's 63.87 days. All of a sudden, 17.5% doesn't seem as minuscule anymore. And that only accounts for phone use. If you factor in total screen time, meaning the time that you spend on your computer or watching TV or whatever it is, that number dramatically rises. The average Gen Z spends nine hours on a screen daily. That is 37.5% of their entire day staring at a screen. For what? To scroll? To chuckle at some memes? Over the course of a year, that is 136 days. Worse still, this trend shows no sign of slowing down. Can you even imagine that? That is one third of your entire year. Every year. Meaning, it's a third of your life. Now, we already spend a third of our lives sleeping. So that means that two thirds of your waking hours you're choosing to spend a third simply staring at a screen. I mean, no wonder you can't get anything done. If you keep going down this road, you will spend over a third of your entire life staring at a screen. So if you live to, let's say, 80 years old, you're going to spend 30 years on your screen. 30 years wasted on cheap dopamine and endless scrolling. So let's go back to our sentencing scenario. The average prison sentence for murder in the UK is 15 to 30 years. And as I said, you haven't been convicted to 30 years in jail. Yet, you willingly throw away 30 years of your life. For what? A giggle? A few memes? The question is, if we all agree that getting convicted to 30 years pretty much means that your life is over, why are you completely fine with spending the same 30 years of your life on your phone? If you really think about it, both experiences are not that different. At the end of the day, in both scenarios, you are just sitting there trying to find a way for time to pass by. You are not living, you are just passing time. So ask yourself this. Would you really rather spend 30 years scrolling on your phone chasing cheap dopamine rather than living your actual life and making the best life that you've imagined? Probably not. I mean, that is an insane amount of time. Think what would happen if you dedicated yourself to something for even one-tenth of that. 
just three years. If you switched your phone time to something productive, you'd hit the 10,000 hour rule in just three years. Now, if you don't know what the 10,000 hour rule is, it's basically the idea that to become an expert at anything, you need to spend 10,000 hours doing it. So now, let me ask you this. Is this what you want to become an expert at? Staring at screens and doing nothing? Do you really want to be that guy? The guy who sends the best memes? Is that what you want to be known for? We both know the answer to that. Now the question is, why are you still doing it? Why are you still constantly on your phone? Listen, let's be honest. I know this isn't the first time you've had thoughts about these things. Even before the prison analogy, you already got the conclusion that you spend way too much time on your phone. Yet, even when you try to stop, you always end up going back to your old ways. So the question is, why? And here's where everything really starts to get interesting. There is a very specific reason as to why. And if you've tried decreasing your screen time before and you haven't been able to do that consistently, frankly, it's not your fault. Here's why. Think about all of the companies vying for your attention. I mean, really think about the market forces at play. Think about the fact that your phone was produced by a company worth almost $3 trillion. And they've spent the last 16 years perfecting their product. Once you open your phone, you are faced with a sea of billion and even trillion dollar companies all vying for the same thing, your attention. I mean, if you look at the most popular social media companies, you really get an understanding of their size. I mean, let me name just a few. TikTok is worth an estimated $225 billion. Meta, who owns Instagram, Facebook, and WhatsApp, has a market cap of $900 billion. Alphabet, which owns Google and YouTube, is worth 1.7 trillion. And if you add Twitter and Snapchat into the mix, the total market cap of these companies is 2.8 trillion. It's not by accident that these companies have the level of power that they do. They spend billions optimizing every little detail. My friend, there are no accidents on their apps. Nothing is random. Everything is planned and those billions are all spent to get one thing and one thing only. Your attention. Hey man, I'm, I'm sorry about earlier. I didn't mean that. Listen, it's an emergency with my mom. Can I make a quick phone call? This is Paul at Agency Corp. How may I assist you? Hi, yes. I saw your flyer and I was actually interested in an interview. Sure. I have a slot for a prospecting interview. How about, let's say, January 6th at noon? Yeah, that, that works for me. Uh, I will be there. Thank you. Great. Send a resume to paul at agencycorp.com. I didn't sound like your mom. There is a war on your time. Dozens of multi-billion dollar enterprises have all waged war against you. And they won't stop until they win. They won't stop until every last second of your time is spent on their platforms. And their most powerful weapon? Micro habit 
manipulation. Now, before I explain what that is, you really need to understand how normal habits are formed. And the easiest way to explain that is by imagining your brain as a computer. When you do something new, whether it be learning to play an instrument or getting a glass of water, your brain creates a neural pathway to remember how to do it. The more that you do that action, the clearer and stronger this pathway becomes. Now, you can kind of think of it like a grassy field. The first time you walk through the grass, you won't see your path very clearly. But after you've walked down the same stretch of grass for a bit, your path becomes very clear. And as the grass flattens, the path strengthens. And it's the exact same concept with habits in your brain. That is why you can brush your teeth without thinking. Because you've done it so much that it's become second nature. You simply do it without consciously thinking. Now, if I were to ask you what the third last Instagram reel or TikTok you watched, you wouldn't be able to tell me. Because quite frankly, you wouldn't remember. Even if I asked you as you're watching them, you wouldn't be able to tell me what the third last reel you watched. Now, why is that? Well, because what happens as you're watching them is that your brain kind of just starts to turn off. Those multi-billion dollar enterprises have not only hacked your brain, but also found a way to turn it on and off. On command, when you're scrolling through those dozens of reels, your brain is quite literally not functioning. And I'm going to show you a brain scan in a second. Now, the most interesting part is that when your brain turns back on, you don't even remember why you opened the app in the first place. I mean, just think about how many times you've opened Instagram or YouTube in order to search for something specific. But then as soon as you opened it, you see a highly clickbaity thumbnail, click on it and start watching the video. Or you see a reel that starts autoplaying and without even thinking about it, you start watching it. And when you see you've already been sucked into watching this entire reel, you're already on to watching the next one. And when you realize that's happening, you don't even remember why you opened the app in the first place. You remember that you had something to do, but you can't even remember what it was. Why? Because they just reset your brain on purpose. And that is exactly what they want to do. They know exactly what to show you right when you open the app in order to turn off your brain right away and suck you into consumption mode. Why do you think YouTube and Instagram recently introduced autoplay into their videos? So that once you open the app, you don't even have a chance to escape. You get hooked right away. That is how they control you. And in order for you to understand how they've turned your brain off, you need to understand how habits work. In the book, The Power of Habit, author Charles Duhigg he breaks down what's known as a habit loop. That's the process of how and why habits get triggered. What it says is that every habit has three components. First, it starts with a cue, which is an automatic trigger for a behavior to start. Then there's a routine, which is the behavior itself. And finally, there's a reward that helps your brain remember that pattern for the future. Every habit has cues and rewards. And for years, when everyone talked about habits, they'd focus on the behavior itself, on the routine. But what Charles introduces in his book is the idea that it's not the routine itself that influences how habits function, but rather the cue and the reward that trigger that habit. In the book, he also mentions a very interesting experiment they've done in Germany where they took a group of people and encouraged them to exercise. And when I say exercise, by the way, I mean specifically go for a run. Now, they took a third of the group and told them to do Two things. The first is to choose a specific cue such as always go running with the same group of friends or leave your running shoes by your bed when you go to sleep. And the second is that when you get back from the run, give yourself a small piece of chocolate as a reward. The reason for that is even though you might be genuinely enjoying exercising, your brain hates it. 
because it depletes your energy levels and your brain is built to optimize for surviving rather than thriving. So it doesn't really want to go for a run and risk running out of energy. So the only way to trick it into liking exercise is by giving it a reward after exercising like a small piece of chocolate. Six months into this experiment, the researchers found out that 58% of those people are more likely to continue exercising. The problem with running is this. It takes a lot of effort to get to the organic reward, which is the endorphin that your body releases during and after exercising. And when you first start exercising, you are more overwhelmed by the feeling of being tired and just how much pain your body feels than by the endorphins that get released. So you really have to bootstrap your brain into believing that running is going to give you a good reward. And that's why in this research, they used the chocolate. Now, the very interesting part here is this. The researchers have found that if you were to look at a brain activity graph during the execution of a habit, you'd see that your brain activity peaks twice during the habit process, which is during the cue and during the reward. Now, during the routine, the behavior itself, when you're performing the action of the habit, your brain activity is actually very low, almost as if you're not thinking at all and you're just doing. After all, that is what a habit is, a certain set of actions and behaviors that have been ingrained in you so that way you can do them without thinking. And the reason that happens is so that your brain can virtually shut down to save energy. Now, guess what? That is exactly what your brain does while watching reels, stories, TikToks, YouTube shorts, etc. That is how social media companies shut down your brain on command. Now, what social media companies also learned how to do was to bootstrap this habit into your brain, just like the researchers did. But here's the evil twist. Instead of having to put your body through an arduous long routine such as running, in order to release the chemical reward in your brain, they found a way to instantly release one of the most potent and addicting chemical compounds that our bodies are capable of producing. It's called dopamine. This is the exact chemical that gets released when you do drugs, for example. Now, how do social media companies manage to get your brain to auto-release that? By showing you a highly stimulating piece of content with very strong visuals and sounds, something that your body is not naturally used to experiencing often in regular life. Something that you'd only experience when you're hunting in the forest and seeing a big animal running for its life and screaming as you and your tribe is in pursuit of it. And what would happen in such a situation? Your brain would peak its dopamine release. Now the thing is, your brain can't tell the difference between seeing such a strong visual experience in your screen versus in real life. So what does it do in both cases? Your brain releases a peak of dopamine and that becomes the reward of the habit. And every single time that you get this dopamine release peak, it reinforces such habit. So the social media companies created a situation where they give you these very cheap and instant dopamine hits with no effort. And they know that this will cause your brain to seek for more of those hits. And it's all because of something called positive intermittent reinforcement. So we know that dopamine plays a vital role in motivation. But how exactly does it work? Well, in essence, dopamine is like a messenger that carries signals to your brain and your body. But what it does is reinforce certain behaviors by making you feel good. And in doing so, dopamine is actually the very chemical that forms much of your brain's reward system. And that means that when you do something enjoyable, your brain rewards you with dopamine. And that's why dopamine is so closely linked to discipline and motivation. Dopamine also helps you focus. When you're really focused on something you find interesting, like a movie or maybe even a short 10 second video, your brain will release dopamine so you continue to focus on that thing. Now because dopamine feels good, your brain starts to associate certain activities with dopamine release. And this phenomenon is known as positive intermittent reinforcement. 
And this means your brain learns that certain actions, well, they simply feel good. And you should therefore do it more often. And over time, this exponentially strengthens the power of a habit. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is that you can't continuously just get more dopamine. Eventually, the brain will start getting used to these high dopamine levels. And that means that you're going to always seek more of a pleasure-filled activity. And by comparison, everything else is going to seem that much more boring. And this is how social media platforms have completely hijacked your dopaminergic system. And social media isn't the only example of your dopamine systems being hijacked. Drugs actually have the same effect. When you do coke, for example, your dopamine levels spike 400% and then obviously come crashing down. And that is why drugs are so addictive. Porn and masturbation have the same phenomenon. But interestingly, so do ice baths. So your brain doesn't actually differentiate between dopamine. Now, here's where things get sketchy. When you go on social media, you don't get an immediate high on dopamine as you would on drugs. Instead, you get hooked little by little. And the effect? Well, before you know it, you're completely addicted. Or before you know it, five minutes have turned into two hours. So how does that translate in practice? The social media platforms have been designed in order to extract the maximum amount of dopamine possible. And that is how they hook you. That is how they keep you coming back for more. And in researching this, I actually came across an interesting quote that pretty much captures this idea quite well. There are only two businesses that call their customers users, illegal drugs and apps, because these apps are designed to get you addicted. They're designed to implant habits into your mind so you can't help but keep coming back for more. So just think about it. You pick up your phone hundreds of times a day, and most of the time, you don't even think about it. It's second nature. It is even more second nature than brushing your teeth because you definitely don't do that as many times. Sometimes you will pick up your phone and you don't even know why. It's pure instinct. I mean, really think about it. How many times have you gone to just check your phone for a second and the next thing you know, you've spent hours scrolling on Instagram or TikTok and you don't even mean to do it. It just happens. Sometimes you don't even want to do it. I'm sure you've been in a situation where you had a bunch of work to do and you knew you had to do it, but you couldn't get off your phone. You feel guilty, but you can't really stop it. I mean, when are you not on your phone? Whenever you're bored, you just pick it up. Whenever you're in the car, you're on it. Whenever you're in an elevator, you scroll. And it's not just when you're bored. How often have you been at dinner with family, a friend, or maybe even a significant other, and they've caught you on your phone? I feel like you get the point. But the question is, how is it so addictive? It's because you have trained yourself over multiple years to seek that instant dopamine release. Every time you open your phone, you are fed an instant hit of dopamine. Biochemically and psychologically speaking, you're addicted to it. You are addicted to the dopamine hit, just like a junkie. And the reason you can't overcome this addiction or even stop it from getting worse is because one trick that all of these enterprises take advantage of, and it's called microhabit manipulation.
That thought process was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while. I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing that a, that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. The inventors, creators, you know, and it's, it's me, it's Mark, it's the, you know, Kevin Systrom and Instagram, it's all of these people, um, understood this consciously, and we did it anyway. There are thousands of micro-habit manipulators used by these companies. You see, companies like Meta and Google have managed to enter the depths of your mind without you even knowing it. They have been able to exploit your most basic desires as a human, Desires such as being connected, being tribal, even to be loved and accepted. And here's where things get very, very sinister. Because this didn't happen by accident. Not at all. This was all planned and deliberate. The founders of Instagram, Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger, literally studied technological persuasion at Stanford. And just four years later in 2010, went on to found one of the biggest social media platforms ever, Instagram. So that means that from the very beginning, these platforms were created to manipulate you, to exploit your psychology, all in order to steal your time. And the experiments have simply continued. Facebook conducted massive scale contagion experiments in an effort to find the best way to nudge people in the exact direction that they wanted. And who was the subject for these experiments? You, of course. Now, Facebook literally calls it a nudge, but let's call it what it truly is, an act of manipulation. You see, we are biologically hardwired to seek connections with others. That means that there are pre-existing dopamine pathways whose sole purpose is to enable us to form relationships with each other. And that's why humans are quite tribal. That's why we live and orient ourselves in communities. And what Facebook and these other platforms have done is tap into these very basic human desires. And they've gone ahead and simply weaponized it against us. Social media has hijacked what it means to be human and turned it against us. That's why you have friends on Facebook. That's why you receive likes. It all feeds into your need to be connected and accepted by your community. In fact, even the little features that we think are made for convenience weren't. Every feature on these platforms serves one purpose and one purpose only, to maximize the amount of time you spend on the platform. Even little things like the fact that you can see when someone's typing a message. Even something as simple and minuscule as this is enough to trigger our dopamine pathways ever so slightly and keep us on the platform. Then you get into more major things like the idea of followers. You see, the idea of followers was created by early Twitter to get more people to check on the app more often. And it worked. Because people wanted to keep up with how many followers they had, so they kept opening the app. Now, another one of those micro-habit manipulators is the way you scroll. Now, you might remember in the early days of Instagram, if you scrolled through all of your friends' content, your feed would simply say, you're caught up. But that's no longer the case. You see, now, whenever you scroll on any social media platform, you can scroll for hours. You never run out of content. And that's because now every platform has adopted infinite scroll. So you can literally never run out of content to watch. And the most sinister part of this is, if you refresh, you are automatically exposed to brand new content. That is the exact same psychology trick that they use with slot machines 
in Vegas. So when I say that you are addicted to these platforms, I really mean it. And likes achieved the exact same thing when they were created at Facebook. And it tapped into the very thing that we are hardwired to seek, approval. And autoplay is another one of those micro habits, as I already mentioned. The list of features simply goes on and on and on. And they are constantly coming up with new micro habit manipulators. Some are more exploitative than others, and some are more obvious than others. Like the fact that Instagram uses reels to draw you in. It didn't used to be like that. I mean, just in the last few months, they've been able to tweak their micro habit manipulators to be even more powerful. And that's really what I want you to understand. This is a continuous process that never stops. It is all a play to keep you addicted. And it's achieved through these little micro habit manipulations, all in order to keep you on their platform so that way they can feed you their advertiser content. Now, I want you to analyze this. Next time you go on your phone and see all those bright colors and flashing notifications, I want you to analyze how they affect you. Why are you drawn to a certain color? How does a certain notification make you feel? Really think about all of these things. If you think that all of this is bad, well, it's about to get a hell of a lot worse. Because this, my friend, is just the tip of the iceberg. There's actually a much bigger story here that's not being told. Now, there have been a few shifts in the world that have really changed everything. Everything from the structure of society to how money is made. I mean, just think about how our economies have changed over time. We started off as hunter-gatherers and then learned how to use tools. And that was huge because it really allowed the economy to transition to an agrarian economy. Then, eventually, the Industrial Revolution changed everything yet again. But what was the next big change? The internet. Now, we all know that the internet has changed everything. But how? I mean, what was actually the byproduct of the internet that really changed our trajectory as a society? You see, the internet did something that has never been done before. It went ahead and democratized information. And that meant that people were no longer limited by what they knew. For the first time in human history, everyone had access to the same information. Nothing was hidden. But something really interesting happened as a result of this. You see, a wealth of information creates a lack of something else. It creates a poverty of attention. And that's how what researchers are now calling the attention economy was born. And this is actually the biggest shift in economies of all of them. Bigger than the Industrial Revolution. Bigger than the Internet. And here's why. All of those economy shifts so far had one thing in common. They were all information driven. That is, all of human history so far could be summed down to the information economy. Which was basically, I make money because I know something you don't. But now we all know the same stuff, so attention has become the new currency. But here's the kicker. All of the other big shifts in the economy, well, they took centuries to happen. But this shift has happened in less than half a century. And although our society has changed impossibly quickly, there's something that hasn't kept up. Our brains. You see, our brains are still fundamentally the same as they were during our hunter-gatherer times. And that is why we are faced with an impossible situation. As the sociobiologist Edward Wilson said, the real problem of humanity is the following. We have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. 
And these godlike technologies are spending billions of dollars to ensure that you spend as much time as possible on your phone. And I know that at this point, you're probably asking yourself, so how do you combat that? How do you break free from their shackles? And how do you reclaim your time and attention? How would you even define the attention economy? Well, here's the bottom line. The attention economy has commoditized attention and built a marketplace that uses your attention as its currency. That means that your attention is the price you now pay to use certain products. So you can imagine if we're already enslaved by our phones and social media platforms, it's only going to get a lot worse. And this is the part of the story that gets sinister very quickly. Because with such a rapid rate of advancement comes very dark consequences. You see, the algorithms that govern these platforms now have a secret weapon. And with that secret weapon, they will become even more powerful than ever before. And the weapon? It's AI. Now, every time you use these platforms, the AI algorithm learns from your actions. Meaning every time you use a social media app, the algorithm gets better. Better at tailoring your content, better at nudging you in certain directions, and better at stealing your time and attention. Now, if that sounds far-fetched, then consider this. AI is already an integral part of these social platforms. Give it a few more years and AI will know you better than you know yourself. And it already knows you better than most people. It knows your emotional state. It knows your relationship status. It knows your health-related insights. All because you constantly scroll on social media. The next step? Well, the next step is to use this data to predict what will make you tick. In fact, these platforms are already using AI tools that can predict your behavior. And these aren't just simple predictions. These are insights into the depths of your psyche. Really only the depths that only a therapist or a closely trusted friend would otherwise have access to. Let me go ahead and give you an example. Simply based on the way you tweet, there are algorithms that can predict your political leanings. And not what you tweet, but simply how you tweet it. They use your cadence, your syntax, and dictation to predict your political leanings with 70% accuracy. So what, you may ask? Well, if they know your political leanings, they also know something else about you. So if that doesn't scare you, then this will. Based on your post frequency and interaction patterns on social media, AI is able to predict your big five personality traits. That means that AI knows exactly what makes you and your unique personality tick. And it also knows exactly what to show you in order to get a reaction out of you. In other words, it knows exactly how to manipulate you. Because that's really what this is. Let's drop the act. This isn't predictive AI. This is manipulation. To think that AI can read you as well as a human psychiatrist who assesses you for weeks on end should be concerning. Soon, AI will quite literally know you better than you know yourself. And that means it will be harder than ever for you to reclaim your time and ultimately to reclaim your freedom. Soon, social platforms and AI will be so deeply embedded into your brain's neurochemistry that will be impossible for you to break free. Honestly, it may even already be too late. We've already discovered how much time you truly spend staring at a screen. But there is still one piece of the puzzle that's missing. If we live in an attention-poor world where attention has become the new currency, then how do these companies actually make money off of your attention? Now, this may seem obvious to some of you, but it's extremely important to understand exactly how these mechanisms work. Consider this. How much do you pay to use Instagram? What about YouTube? TikTok? Well, these are all primarily free platforms. And as the saying goes, if you are not paying for the service, that means that you're the product. But how? How does the attention economy actually work? Well, let's go ahead and break it down step by step. It all goes back to how these big platforms make their money. So how does Meta, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, 
how do all of these platforms actually make their money? Well, the answer is through advertising. How do they advertise to you? Well, as you know, they show you ads in between the content that you want to see. That doesn't seem too bad, does it? Seems fairly innocent. I mean, after all, these companies need to make money too. Now, at first glance, it may seem rather innocent, but I can assure you that it's not. So let's look at the incentive structure that underpins this. If social media platforms make money off of you simply seeing the ads, that means that they need to maximize the amount of ads that you see. But they can't do that too much, otherwise you'll stop using their platform. So instead, they need to maximize the total time that you spend on their platform. The more time you spend there, the more money that they make. Now the thing is, I found a way to put you on the other side of this equation. For you to be the one who's actually making money off of the big enterprises, the big social media platforms, and use the billions of dollars they invest into these technologies to your advantage. So that way, you can be the one who is reaping the rewards from it. Now at this point, you already understand that the reason you keep failing your New Year's resolution is simply because of time. You didn't have the time to do the things you need to do in order to win because your time was stolen. And there is a war actively being fought to win more and more of your time. So that way, you can do less and less. And the biggest enemy that threatens your success in 2024 is currently in the palm of your hands, your phone. And it was this very own thing that led us into a new stage of our world economy, the attention economy. And the truth is, there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. And the losers are going to be the ones who keep giving away their most valuable asset in this new economy, their attention. They'll keep trading their attention and time for cheap dopamine hits, just like an addict does. And the winners, on the other hand, are going to be the ones that know how to not get high on their own supply. That is, they understand that social media and all of these other apps are no different than drugs. And instead of using it to get cheap dopamine hits, they figured out a way to take advantage of their phones and the wealth of attention that flows into it, to turn it into real wealth by using their phones. And that's exactly what I'm going to teach you how to do. How to turn your biggest enemy, your phone, into your most important tool and use it to achieve success in 2024 and finally make this year your year. You want to learn how to do that? I'm going to teach you. But not now. You see, you're not ready for it. I'm going to show you how to do that on episode 2 that goes live on Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. But first, you need to complete two missions in order for you to be ready. Now, first things first, I want you to take your phone and check your daily screen time. And then, I want you to calculate how much of your life you will spend staring at your phone if you keep going at this rate. It could be 10 years. It could be 30 years. It could even be 50 years of your life. You will only know once you calculate it. Now, if you don't know where to find this information or how to calculate it, I'm going to post a step-by-step -step tutorial on how to do that inside of the WhatsApp group for this event. You can go ahead and find the link in the description of this video. Your second mission is this. I want you to pay attention to how many times a day you grab your phone for no reason. Next time you get caught mindlessly scrolling, I want you to do something. I want you to do five push-ups. Just five. And that is how we're going to implement a negative reward to this habit. So that way your brain learns that every time you go through this habit, you suffer. And that is how we're going to start to unwire it from your brain. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to show you how to prevent this from happening in the first place by avoiding the cues of this habit. So with that being said, it's time to get to work. Remember, time's up. And on that note, I will see you 
on Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time.